0: My name is Steve Gould. I'm a professional drummer and an amateur thinker. My favorite part of life is learning, which is great because there's so much to learn. That's what this show is for. Thinking out loud, discussing ideas, sharing conversation... Listening, growing, and hopefully learning something. The The podcast returns. Thank you, everyone listening to this, for taking time to check out the first episode of 2022. And the first episode in a few months. I have been in the fog of life with a newborn. In December, of course, the holidays, and Misty was full term in her pregnancy, so that brings its own challenges and forms of busyness. And then Stevie was born, Stevie Mason Boyce, Christmas Day, and we've been just in a total bliss bomb over here ever since. She's five weeks old now, which means she's actually, Misty told me this tonight, she's officially no longer a newborn. Stevie is an infant. Newborn or infant, whatever the technical term is, a baby at five weeks old is no small amount of work. (laughs) So that's what today's episode is about. In fact, I'm going to skip the new experiences segment. This whole episode is about the new ish experience of having a newborn now at age 41. This is my third time around the track of having kids, period. Three for three on daughters. This is Misty's first child, though, so this is a brand new experience for her, and we've got some some good teamwork going. I'm going to share about that in this episode. Uh, I want to be really clear, though, at the outset here. I really believe in the power of podcasts as a medium because it gives us the chance to share our stories. I don't really think podcasts are helpful when the people on the other end of the microphone are giving commands. Like driving around listening to someone tell you how to live your life, how to think, what kinds of perspectives are correct or incorrect, nonstop streams of unsolicited advice, that stuff isn't very helpful. So I want to be really careful to not do that here. Instead, this episode is just me sharing our story of what it's like to have a newborn in our house. We have some specific approaches and I'm going to go into detail about that. But I'm well aware that every home is unique, every baby is unique, all the life experience that goes into being an adult and how that might inform parenting decisions, all that stuff is unique from person to person. So there's really no ground from which I can say that someone should listen to what I'm doing with my newborn and take that as a cue for how they should treat their newborn. That's not what this is. I just want to tell you my story. I just want to tell you about my baby and the way life at home is for us right now. However, before I start in on that, I want to say a little something about the word should. You heard me emphasizing that just now as something that I'm trying to avoid in this episode. I want to avoid telling you what you should do. And that's true kind of perpetually for me in teaching drum lessons or discussing ideas with friends politics, the economy, religion, whatever. I try to avoid the word should. I don't like it. I think it's misleading. Or at, at best, it's ambiguous and kind of gray. Like, you should do something. Why? Why should I? Well, because it's really a, a fair question, I think. Anytime anyone uses the word should... Even if they're using it towards themselves. I mean, I often say that kind of stuff. I really should eat better. Now that the holidays are over, I should stop eating so much chocolate. (laughs) Why? Why should I? Well, hmm, it's not healthy. I mean, too much of anything isn't healthy. Too much sugar maybe is the specific unhealth there. Or maybe I just want to exercise more self-control. And the chocolate isn't unhealthy per se, but I don't like how often I reach for it without thinking. If I can give a detailed explanation for why I'm using the word should, then that's great. But it seems to me in most instances when someone uses the word should about themselves or worse, uses it towards someone else, like preaching at them, It seems to me that the word always appeals to some sort of authority. It's as if the speaker is trying to subject the listener to a rule book or some form of law. So let's say, for example, I'm talking to one of my drum students and I say, you should hold the stick this way. On the surface, that statement sounds like I'm telling them about the rules for how to play drums correctly. Now, If you dig in a little bit, I'm actually just telling them the way I hold the drumstick. I have experience with holding the drumstick a certain way, and I want to tell them that the experience has worked well for me. So why don't I just say that? Well, here's how I hold the stick, and it's worked well for me. Great. I'm not appealing to any imaginary authority there. I'm just sharing information with the student. Or perhaps I'm talking to my neighbor, and I'm annoyed that my neighbor always leaves his garbage cans out on the street, like after trash pickup for like another full 24 hours. Like, dude, you really should put your garbage cans away after they're emptied. Why should my neighbor do that? What's that about? Really, it's just what I want. There isn't an actual rule that he has to put his garbage cans away. I just don't want to look at them. And in that instance, the really sneaky thing about the word should is that I have masked my own desire as some sort of authority. I'm kind of telling my neighbor that there's a rule, but there is no rule, it's just what I want. It's just my own desire. This was first brought to my attention many years ago in Minneapolis. A friend of mine named Matt Patrick, a great producer there, he used to hire me on a lot of his albums. And he moved from a small studio where we first started working together to this newer space that he rented. It was really nice. High ceilings, tons of extra square footage in the rooms it was like a dream scenario for a recording studio and all of us who worked in that studio with Matt we were all really stoked when he moved and I remember the first time I walked in and I was just looking around and feeling really excited and I said to Matt dude you should get hardwood floors in here too because the floors were like a trendy modern concrete and he had a few oriental rugs and I just, I thought hardwood floors would make the whole thing like look more clean or just look the way I wanted it. But I said to him, you should get hardwood floors in here. And he looked at me and he said, why do you want me to get hardwood floors? And his response helped me realize, oh yeah, I he should get hardwood floors. No, it's just that I wanted him to get hardwood floors. And he's asking me why. It's like he cut right through the imaginary authority that I was appealing to by using the word should and revealed to me that I was just talking about my preferences. And he just asked me why my preference was the way it was and I just felt, I didn't feel stupid. I don't remember feeling bad even. I just felt so much clarity. I thought, wow, this is a way better method of communication to just tell people what's actually going on in my mind. As opposed to masking my intentions with this cloudy word that makes people feel like they're obligated to follow a rule or a law or an authority that isn't really there. I hear this tone of the word should pretty regularly in the wider culture. It's certainly present in media and in debate over hot button issues. I hear it in religious circles and self-help circles and I'm just trying to get rid of it in my own life. I'm trying to get rid of it in my own speech as an attempt toward better clarity. Honesty even. I'm willing to tell you what I think and at this point I'm also willing to tell you that it's just what I think. There isn't any other context. Matt, I think it would be cool if you got hardwood floors in this studio. You know what I want? I want to eat less chocolate because I don't want that much sugar in my system. Hey, drum student. I hold the drumstick this way and it's worked really well for me. If you try it, you might find it working well for you too. Avoiding the word should and instead just being honest about my desires. Okay, enough of that rant. Without any further delay... Here is a detailed explanation of life at our house with a newborn. Misty is asleep right now in our bedroom. Stevie is asleep in her bedroom. I'm out here in the kitchen recording a podcast. This beautiful track that's playing in the background at this moment is a ballad by Happy Apple. It's called Where Does a Stranger Go on Christmas Eve. It's a beautiful song. I've mentioned this band on the Steve Gould Show before. It's a big part of Stevie's life now. I play this music for her pretty regularly. Late at night... And I'm going to do that here shortly, in a little while, when I go into feeder. feed her. That brings me to tenet number one of our newborn philosophy here at the Gould Boyce house. We have Stevie on a pretty strict feeding schedule. We feed her at 2 a.m., 5 a.m., 8 a.m., 11 a.m. And then repeat that three-hour cycle again all through the p.m. hours. So it's almost 11 p.m. here. It's almost time for her to eat. I'll say more about that uh, specific timing later. But for now, I just want to acknowledge that that is not the conventional wisdom in pop parenting these days. Most younger couples that I talk to, especially out here in Los Angeles, use what's called on-demand feeding, where you basically feed your newborn whenever they show any signs of hunger. And the idea is that you're trusting your newborn, to know when they're hungry. And I that makes a lot of sense to me. Furthermore, when you feed a baby, they feel better and they have a better attitude. So if your baby is crying a bunch or just being fussy in general, you feed them, they feel great. I mean, Stevie's best times of the day, like the time that she's the most chill, the easiest to be around, easiest to take care of, are the moments, the minutes, maybe you know, 15, 20 minutes after she's eaten. She feels great. She's happy. She loves life. She doesn't have anything to complain about. She's got a full stomach. And so, the advocates of on-demand feeding would say, your kid knows when they're hungry. Whenever they're fussy, they're probably hungry. Just feed them. right, I hear that, and I've also encountered something different. Both of my older daughters, when they were newborns, we fed them on a regimented every three-hour cycle. The idea behind this is that three hours is about as long as the baby's tiny little tummy can hold the amount of food to keep them from being hungry again. But babies really thrive on routine. Like their world in the womb and then when they're first born, it's just chaos. They don't know when to sleep. They don't know when to eat. They're not really in charge of anything. And the schedule system gives them something to kind of like close their emotional jaw on and helps them feel stability. This idea made sense to me when I was 24 and Betty was born, my older daughter. It was an absolutely insane time in my life. I had no idea what I was getting myself into having a baby. Wow, I just, you know, nobody's sleeping. My ex-wife and I were both up all hours of the night wondering how we should treat Betty, what we should do with her crying and changing her diaper or whatever. It's like, you know, you're really learning on the fly, but eventually we landed on this three hour cycle and it works really well for her. Same thing with Susie, my middle daughter. And now we're using it with Stevie too. And I, I guess I just want to acknowledge that that's not from my own experience here at age 41 in Los Angeles. That's like not the norm. Most people are just feeding their baby whenever their baby cries. And we are on a pretty strict schedule. Here's how the day usually looks for us. We'll start at 8 a.m., get Stevie out of bed, feed her, change her diaper, hang out for a little while, right around 9 a.m., start thinking about putting her back to sleep. Because newborns sleep a lot. Their bodies are growing so rapidly. They're processing all this actual food for the first time instead of just the placenta and the umbilical cord. And they need a lot of rest. So she hangs for an hour and then sleeps for like two hours. 11 a.m. rolls around, we repeat the process. That happens all the way until 11 p.m. But at 11 p.m., we don't hang out. I get her up, I feed her, change her diaper, put her right back to bed. And during that period of time, I don't say anything to her. I don't talk to her at all. I don't turn on any lights even. It's totally dark in her room. And I don't say anything. This is kind of like premise number two of our newborn philosophy. Where we are trying to teach her when it's nighttime. Because in the womb, babies don't know that. Like they don't know when it's daylight or when it's nighttime. They don't know when they're supposed to sleep or when they're supposed to be awake. So they just kind of do it whenever they want. <laughs> Misty Knight joked a lot when we brought Stevie home from the hospital. It really seemed like she was on a different time zone. Like she was on Tokyo time suffering from jet lag. Three in the morning, she's just ready to go, ready to party. So alert, so awake. And then at three in the afternoon, we cannot keep her awake at all. Well, that's not how the rest of us live here on Pacific Standard Time in Los Angeles. So we had to switch that. And our method was just to not say anything to her, not make any sound with our voices that would stimulate her and make her think it's time to hang out. At 11 p.m. or at the 2 a.m. feeding or again at the 5 a.m. feeding. It's totally dark in her room. Don't turn on any lights. I turn on a playlist, some gentle tunes in the background. Otherwise, I'm trying really hard to avoid any sort of sensory stimulant because I want her to learn that this is not the time of day, like the time of the 24-hour cycle. This is not when we do anything. You're supposed to be sleeping. Now, She can't sleep for the whole night. She has to wake up every three hours. Her stomach is so small that she just needs food again. She doesn't have enough body weight to stay asleep all night long. That's fine. But when we wake her up to feed her in the middle of the night, we just don't say anything. And I got to tell you, that's really hard. (laughs) My precious, adorable, little new daughter here at the house, I want to just like get in her face and give her all these kisses. Hi, sweetie. Hey, beautiful. Oh, big stretch. You know, all the cute little things that you say to a cute little baby. It's hard to not say that stuff to her in the middle of the night. These graveyard shift feedings at like 2 a.m., I'm not saying a word. I actually learned that from some friends in Minnesota when my older daughter was born. And that worked pretty well for both Betty and Susie Gould. And now with Stevie, we're doing the same thing. She got onto Los Angeles time pretty quick. It was within the first week that we had her home that she that she was actually groggy at night and then alert during the day within these feeding cycles. Okay, so here's the third tenet of our approach: we are formula feeding. Misty tried breastfeeding, and you know it, it's difficult. I think we could have persisted and kind of forced it. But both of us, for our respective reasons, decided early on, not nah, we're not going to try anymore with breastfeeding. We're just going to use formula. This, again, is a pretty controversial issue among you know parenting circles, parenting magazines, parenting blogs. I'll just say this. Uh, as a man, I encountered so many messages when my first daughters were born and now from the culture more or less s- suggesting that if we don't breastfeed our kid, She's going to get every possible disease. She's going to be really poorly adjusted emotionally. And I'm essentially just like injecting her with a syringe that will automatically give her a terrible life. Like that's the messaging for me as a man. And I'm, I'm witnessing that messaging even heavier on Misty and other women as they discuss this. There's just a a lot of strong opinions about this subject. I, I, Again, three for three right now with daughters successfully growing up with formula feeding. Well, Stevie's only five weeks old, so we'll see what happens in the future. But both Betty and Susie were formula fed. Worked great. I got to tell you, there's a lot of convenience about it. (laughs) Like it's easier. I can make the bottle myself. I don't have to get Misty out of bed. And I can see exactly how much Stevie eats. The formula is... You know, not cheap, I guess, but it's not nearly as expensive as the food I eat. And it gives me the opportunity to handle the evening shift all by myself. Misty can get sleep in the other room. I can take care of Stevie on my own. Works perfect. I guess I'm saying all of this partially to give some permission, maybe, to people who might listen to this and feel the need to formula feed their kid, but also feel themselves drowning in the cultural messages that Formula feeding is terrible for your infant. I've had a great experience with it three times in a row now. That brings me to the fourth component of our newborn philosophy, which is that I handle the late night shifts. Like I mentioned earlier, Missy's asleep and she's going to be asleep until 5 a.m. She takes over at that point. We both feed Stevie at her 8 p.m. feeding, hang out for a little while. She goes to bed at 9 p.m., so does Misty. And then at 11 p.m., I get Stevie up, feed her. Like I said, don't talk to her. Put her back down. I maybe go to sleep myself, wake up at 2 in the morning, feed her, go back to sleep. Now, that 2 a.m. feeding, I am happy to do it. And here's why. For whatever reason, my whole life, I have had a pretty easy time sleeping. <laughs> uh, I I don't want to sound boastful here I'm not trying to be arrogant. I know sleep is a really big deal and many people have a tough time with it. I'm not one of those people. I get a lot of bang for my buck with sleep time. And it's really easy for me to fall back asleep after I wake up. So getting up at 2 a.m. and feeding Stevie, it's no big deal. I fall right back asleep. And even if I didn't go to bed before that, even if I stay all the way up until 2 a.m. because I'm kind of a night owl, and then I have to get up early the next day, maybe six or seven to go to work or something like that. Ever since college, like going an entire day off of just three hours of three or four hours of sleep the night before, it's not that big of a deal for me. Again, I, I'm saying that humbly. I didn't do anything to deserve that. It's just the way my body works. And it's not the way Misty's body works. She has a tough time falling back asleep at night after she's woken up. Furthermore, the amount of sleep that she gets doesn't seem to fill her energy tank as much as my sleep time does, like in terms of just the quality time. Like sometimes she gets frustrated with me because she goes to bed earlier than I do and yet wakes up the next day feeling less rested. And that's just the way it is at our house. So I guess I'm saying that the fourth tenet of our newborn approach is that I take the night shifts Actually, the tenant is family efficiency. Like, let's play into our strengths here. Just as a couple. Misty loves getting up early. I don't. I'm super comfortable waking up in the middle of the night and handling a graveyard shift feeding. Misty isn't. I mean, Misty could just handle the whole thing on her own. She's strong enough to do that. And on a couple weekends when I've been out of town for a gig so far, she has done that two or three days with me not home and she takes all the shifts. But that's not ideal because it's very draining. It's very draining on anyone. So then I get back from out of town and she's thankful to have a longer stretch to get caught up on her sleep while I take the graveyard shifts. So the fact that we're formula feeding means that either of us can handle it and we might as well take the shifts that reflect our personal strengths and weaknesses. Misty feeds Stevie at 5 a.m. and I sleep. Misty handles Stevie at 8 a.m. and oftentimes I'm still asleep at that point. The result is that we've been getting full nights of rest, both of us, this whole time. And forgive me if that sounds arrogant, but it it is certainly abnormal (laughs) for the newborn phase. A lot of my friends, you know, they're texting me or talking to me like, oh man, how you sleeping, huh? Pretty, pretty rough, right? Right. And listen, when Betty was born, my first daughter, it was rough. Wow. I had to figure out how to exist successfully in my day-to-day life as a drum teacher, as a professional drummer, with like no sleep at night because I didn't know how to do any of this. And right now, everything's going smooth. It's because of this shift system, which is related to the formula feeding thing, and that's also part of our routine regimen for feeding at a certain time every day all through the night. We've got this part and parcel program on how to handle a newborn and it's working really well. So like I said earlier, I'm not going to tell anybody that they should use this system, but I'm really happy to tell anyone who's listening to this that the system is working really, really smoothly. Now, admittedly, our daughter doesn't have like any extenuating circumstances with her health. She's not colicky. She doesn't have acid reflux. There are things that make having a newborn more difficult and more complicated than the situation we have with Stevie. So I'm very grateful to have what is an easy experience so far. But I'm also, like at this point, willing to suggest that part of the ease of our experience is the result of this system we use the routine and the stability of the schedule combined with the sleep orientation approach of teaching her really early on when nighttime is and when daytime is combined with the formula feeding combined with tag teaming with each other. I mean, I'm sure people listening to this are familiar with the kind of cultural chauvinism of a man like sleeping all night been getting up and going to work all day and not really changing his life at all. While a woman who is a young mother has to like handle all the feedings on their own. And it's just grueling and can't get any help because they're breastfeeding and the guy's just kind of coasting along and the woman is like getting crushed by the weight of a newborn at home. That's not what's going on with us. We have a great system together and We're kind of like high fiving each other the whole way, just having fun, laughing, joking, enjoying a lot of music. I'll say more about that in a second. Life is good. Life is good at the Gould Boys house, and I'm really grateful. We mentioned playlists earlier. I'm sure it comes to no surprise to anyone listening to my podcast, but a big part of Stevie's life and our life at home with a newborn is music. We are playing music all day, all night, all the time, and that was true before Stevie was born. Misty and I, both as professional musicians and avid music fans and listeners, we're always playing tunes. We're always DJing the moment, but even more so now. With a newborn, I'm I'm just careful to curate a vibe and an ambiance and an atmosphere that's appropriate for, I guess, appropriate's not the right word. What is it? I, I'm trying to give my newborn daughter a life experience enhanced by the music that's happening in the room. And I'm trying to pay attention to how she responds. So I've got a running list in my phone of records that we've played for her. I haven't really been taking notes about how she reacts to the records. I just kind of like pay attention and see what happens. It's fun though. It's fun to curate a listening experience for my daughter. Especially knowing that she's not going to retain any of this and all of it is just kind of like in the moment sensory experience. If you're listening to this and you'd like to know what is on that list, I will post it to my Patreon. It's pretty extensive at this point and kind of all over the map, stylistically. However, I have these specific playlists that I made for her for the nighttime shifts, like I told you. Those moments in her routine, each 24-hour cycle, where I don't turn on lights, I don't talk to her. Instead, just some really mild music in the background. The playlists are each about 40-45 minutes long because that that would be the most amount of time that she would be awake during one of those late-night sessions. I've made myself a few different playlists of music from different artists so that I've got an option each night. Miles Davis ballads, Brad Meldow trio ballads, Happy Apple, uh, Keith Jarrett solo recordings, and then Bill Frizzell, which the track we're listening to right now is jazz standard Moon River from one of Frizzell's trio records, performed by Bill Frizzell, Dave Holland, and Elvin Jones. This song is playing every night that I choose to listen to this playlist when we're in one of those graveyard shift moments. So that's why I'm including this track on this episode and same with the vibey saxophone track at the very beginning of the episode. That was a excerpt from the Happy Apple playlist I'm going to close out the episode though with a song from Keith Jarrett this is the first track on my Keith solo piano late night newborn playlist (laughs) it's very specific I think you'll probably recognize it's got a lullaby quality to it this is another jazz standard called I Loves You Porgy and boy I, I could talk for a full hour about Keith Jarrett and his solo recordings, his the way he treats music and the piano, I don't think there's a single musician, like a, a single person in music history who I relate to and admire more than Keith Jarrett. And in particular, the way that he plays solo piano performances, I just I feel like he squeezes more life and adventure and emotion out of the piano than I've ever heard any musician squeeze out of any instrument absolutely mesmerizing to me i'll probably talk a lot about it in the future on this show but for now to end this episode here is keith jarrett from his album the melody at night with you a track from the opera porgy and bess by george and ira gershwin i loves you porgy